You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. All right. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you today as we continue our series on C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. Last week, we talked about the difference between emotion and conviction. Right, so if you didn't join us last week, we're doing a series on screw tape letters. It's a work by C.S. Lewis, a fictional work where one demon is writing letters to another demon so that they might win someone's soul. Uh, screw tape is the uncle of Wormwood, and Wormwood has a patient, and they're trying to win the patient's soul for their father below, as they say. Uh, in the book. So last week we talked about the difference between emotion versus conviction. Screwtape wants Wormwood's patient to have a deep emotional connection with church because, because emotions come and go. We can be happy, we can be sad, we can be apathetic. And if our connection, if our emotions are connected with the very presence of God, we will feel God closely when, for example, we're happy, having a good time. But in those moments when we're not, it can feel like God's presence is diluted or that God isn't there. And that could be a dangerous place, right? There's a difference between emotion and conviction. Emotions come and go. Conviction is steadfast. Conviction is transformative. Conviction remains, whether we're happy, whether we're sad, having a good day or a bad day. Conviction reminds us that God is with us. So this week... Um, the story continues. Now, if you're following, following along at home, and if you're reading screw tape letters, we're roundabout in the second section of letters. Uh, so there are 31 letters. So we're roundabout letters 12 through 17-ish, something like that. It doesn't go chronological, uh, so you can pick it up and, and, and read uh, anywhere, especially next week when we kind of bust the whole thing uh, wide open. Uh, But I do invite you to follow along. Our scripture lesson today is from Galatians chapter 5. It's actually before our scripture from last week. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 50. It will be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So last week we talked about emotion versus conviction. Today we talk about a communal selflessness. A communal selflessness. Um, the next few letters uh, in, in the screw tape letters uh, begins to describe how this patient is actually beginning to grow in faith. And it starts to make screw tape a little nervous. So no longer is this, this person, this, this patient, making grand promises and, and uh, feeling that emotion of church. He's actually taking little tiny baby steps of transformation, and this worries these two demons. In fact, here's a quote uh, for, uh, in this section of the, of the book. Uh, he says, this patient is no longer offering lavish promises of perpetual virtue 
not even the expectation of an endowment of grace for life, but only a hope for the daily and hourly pittance to meet the daily and hourly temptation. So he's not saying, gracious God, make me, uh, uh, make me an instrument of your peace for every day, and I'm sold, and I'm good, and Jesus is... No, he's saying, today, Lord. Today. Let me feel your presence today. Sometimes we make lavish promises, <laughs> and they sometimes don't work out. For example, how many of you... I know as Methodists, we're bad at audience participation, but how many of you... Uh, This is not rhetorical. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? (laughs) All seven of you. That's awesome. Good. Good for you. (laughs) Which kind of makes the next question moot. (laughs) So we might just uh, just move on. What I was going to say is, wow, look how many of you have made a New Year's resolution. And then I was going to say, how many of you kept it? Right? So um, maybe the question is... (laughs) How many of you have taken that spiritual discipline of starting a new year? Okay, so let's just assume. <laughs> let's assume you made one, right? Well, okay, so I, I make New Year's resolutions, but I always do them about two weeks prior to New Year's Eve so that I can have a money-back guarantee with myself if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, right? You know, so one year uh, I made the New Year's resolution that I was going to wake up early in the morning and jog for 30 minutes every day. And those of you who actually do exercise um, know how foolish that is for someone who doesn't even go outside all that much to make that kind of promise, right? You know, it started strong for like three days, and then after all of the nausea and the soreness, I was like, this is awful. This is awful. So, but I gave myself two weeks, so I had time to improvise and, and change the plan, right? And we do that. I've done this before, like, uh, this year I'm not going to eat any carbs or whatever, you know, these kind of things. Um, When we make these big outlandish promises with ourselves, especially when there's no plan to actually fulfill it, we give up and we fail. And it's as if we hadn't even made the promise to begin with, right? So I have a friend um, who's doing Weight Watchers, right? Uh, Now, there's nothing wrong with setting a goal, Like, I'm going to run for 30 minutes a day. Um, But the problem is, sometimes we like to start with the goal. (laughs) Like, start jogging 30 minutes on the first day. And that's awful. That's terrible. Um, So I have a friend who's doing Weight Watchers, and she set a goal for um, uh, to lose 30 pounds. It's a great goal, right? There's a goal that's out there. They set the goal, and we we did the plan. And I asked her, like, how how, how do you... Because she did it. And I was like, how do you do this? Like, this is great. Um, And she goes, well, it's, it's it's not about the goal. It's not about the 30 pounds out there. It's... For breakfast today, I'm going to have a good, healthy breakfast. And then once you cross that hurdle, I'm going to have a good, healthy snack. And then you get to lunch. I'm going to have a good, healthy lunch right now. It's these tiny baby steps in the right direction. And the most liberating thing, I was like, so you eat healthy now all the time? She goes, of course not, right? But when you, when you mess up, and you have, you know, a bunch of carbs for lunch, you forgive yourself, and you move on, and you tackle dinner, right? How liberating is that? Like, okay, I messed up. Dinner's coming later, so we'll, we'll, we'll start back. Now, there are some footnotes, right? Sometimes, sometimes in our life, we have to do a dramatic cold turkey life transformation very, very quickly sometimes, but on the whole, we set a goal. We have tiny, 
calculated, manageable steps uh, to get there. And then she said something profound. She goes, um, you know you're doing it right when you've met your goal and you forgot that you had it. Meaning that she wasn't doing this to reach 30 pounds. She was doing this to transform and change her life. And she goes, when she met her goal, she kind of looked back and said, oh, that's right. I set a goal for 30 pounds, right? You're doing it right when you kind of lose yourself in the midst of it. You're not doing it for the sake of the goal. You're doing it to change your life. Sometimes when we make big outlandish promises, it doesn't work out well. When, conversely, when we make these small, tiny changes, it leads to uh, a cumulative, adaptive change that lasts, and we are forever a different person. And this makes Screwtape nervous because his patient is no longer making outlandish promises. He's asking for daily bread every day. So they have to change their strategy, and they do. They start to, because he's doing such a good job with this whole Christian thing, they start to instill in him a great pride of how great he is doing in his Christian walk. They instill him in him, and you, you know this, right, a kind of a holier-than-thou kind of attitude. I'm doing really well with this Christian thing. What's wrong with all of you schmucks who are not doing as well as I am, right? You know, the point of, like, Weight Watchers and losing weight is not to say, wow, I'm doing really great. You're terrible at this, right? No, it's to walk with someone. It's to journey uh, with someone. So they start to instill in him a great love and pride of the work that he is accomplishing, you know, uh, walk with Christ so that you can be better than everyone. That's, that's not, that was paraphrasing, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> like, that's not what Jesus said, walk with me so you can be better than everyone. In fact, this is something that Jesus did say, Matthew chapter 6, he says this, and whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, he doesn't say if. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, don't fast for the affirmation of others. Or don't do this work just for the sake of saying you've reached a goal that you yourself set. Do these for transformation. Do these for the good of the kingdom of God. Do these things for Christ. So screw tape and wormwood begin to instill a great pride in their patient. You know, it's, kind of, it's, it's like when you recognize how thankful you are for your own humility. Like, I'm being really humble right now. That's awesome. You know, it doesn't work that way, right? It's kind of like this week, because <laughs> I got to this point in the sermon, and I was like, oh, this is a really great point, and I'm going to share it. And I was about to share a post about the importance of humility and not calling attention to yourself. And then I realized, like, as I was typing, that to put that on Facebook, like, completely destroys the whole point of what I'm saying. Like, don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to me, not paying attention to me. Like, you see what I'm saying? When you fast, don't look disheveled. Wash your face. Put oil on your head. 
Do it for the joy and for the love of God, not the affirmation of the community, right? So the Screwtape's patient is very proud. He's becoming very proud of his own holiness. And the end result of that is, is looking down upon those who aren't as holy as you perceive yourself to be, right? Uh, Screwtape says that uh, God wants the man to be able, I love this, he says he wants the man to be able to build the greatest cathedral the world has ever known and to recognize its beauty and to stand in awe of that beauty just as if someone else had done it. In other words, God wants us to have the ability to set goals, to do these things. God wants us to achieve these great things and be so thrilled about that achievement, be as thrilled about that achievement as if someone else had done it. And sometimes in the church, we're really bad at this. Here's a quote. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis in this section. It says, his long-term policy, or God, God's long-term policy, I fear, is to restore to them a new kind of self-love a charity and gratitude for all selves, including their own. When they have really loved to love, when they have really learned to love their neighbors as themselves, they will be allowed to love themselves as their neighbors. For we must never forget what is the most repellent and inexplicable trait of our enemy. He really loves these hairless bipeds. He's talking about how God really wants to instill in us a particular kind of self-love, a self-love that recognizes our our connectedness, recognizes that we're not alone. It's not about me being holy and you you not measuring up to me. It's about us journeying together. And and look, I'll open my... At this point in the sermon, in the sermon writing process, I had to put it down. Because sometimes, look, screw tape letters will mess with you if you allow it. Jesus messes with you sometimes. So I had to put it down because I realized how poor I am at this. For example, uh, not long ago, uh, I went up to Nashville to talk about the the ideas for the next book, uh, next two books that are coming out. And they were celebrating that Adam Hamilton has has, uh, published two million copies of his books. My first reaction was not how thankful am I that Hamilton has, has seen such success for the kingdom of God, right? My first reaction was like, are you kidding? Two million, he has a new book on Moses. I'm like, Moses? Everybody know who Moses is? We don't need another book on Moses. Hey, there are four million copies. You know, nobody knows who Doctor Who is. Like, why didn't somebody pick that up? You know, I'm just saying, you know? Sometimes clergy are really bad at this. We get really angry at others' success, sometimes. Um, or, for example, <laughs> this is great. Um, Leslie Stevens, who's at Trinity, she, was, uh, she served here at Asbury. Uh, she called me up, and she goes, hey, we're doing this really cool thing. We are doing a worship series based on The Greatest Showman, including the music from The Greatest Showman. And my first reaction was not, what a blessing you are to the community at Trinity for such a creative idea. God bless you on your journey as you lead others to Christ. No, I was like, dang it! That was such a good idea! Like, that should have been my idea. We should have done that. Right? You know, or, or it's, or, you know, so sometimes clergy, we're, we're very hard on each other with this, uh, but churches are too, you know. 
It's like when you build a, stre- a screen out- outside and then the church across the street builds one just slightly bigger than yours. <laughs> oh. You know, praise Jesus for y'all reaching, you know, Christ for the screen, you know. Appreciate that. A little higher definition, a little bit bigger, you know. Welcome to the Methodome. Oh, no, <laughs> we can't, can't claim that word anymore. <laughs> um, or sometimes we have this um, big church, little church thing that we do sometimes. Like smaller churches look to bigger churches. It's like, well, if we had all the people and the money that they have, we could be doing these really cool things, you know, but we have, you know, we're shackled here with where we are in this. Big churches do it to little churches too. We say, well, we would have that same kind of impact in their neighborhood if we were a smaller mechanism and we could move faster and these kind of, but we have so many things to do and so many meetings, we can't be effective. What Screwtape is getting at is God is calling us to have a selflessness to the point where we appreciate the success of, of others for the glory of God, right? Like giving thanks for like, let's say uh, another church is doing this really great ministry and mission. And instead of saying, dang it, we need to do that here. Just saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow of the amazing work that they're doing. Pray, how can we help you? Right? How can we do that? So what does this, what does this selflessness after which I fail, what does this look like? Um, have you ever been to a surprise party? Or especially when you're the one who's been surprised? It's that kind of moment where you lose yourself in the moment. If you're at a surprise party and, and the lights are, are dim and you walk into the surprise, you don't say, I'm going to be very surprised in just a moment. No, you just, <gasps> and it's just you, it's, you're so wrapped up in the moment that you forget to pick up your phone and record it right? In other words, you can't take a selfie of your own surprise, right? Kind of in the same way that you can't tickle yourself, like it just doesn't work, right? You can't take a selfie of your own surprise because surprise, by the definition, you're in the moment and you are completely selfless and you are unaware of yourself. And that's like the joy of heaven. You are so wrapped up in the glory of God, you even forget yourself. Because when you were surprised, you know, say, oh my gosh, I hope I'm wearing the right thing. Oh my gosh, uh, the problems I had earlier, it's your, <gasps> it's just that kind of, it's, like, it's kind of like watching, I don't know why, um, but <laughs> anytime I've ever been to a fireworks show, uh, I see people recording it. I'm just talking about, you're never going to watch that video, ever. I've never met someone who had a family movie night and they mirrored their phone on the TV to watch the fireworks from two years ago. Like, I've never seen that ever. If that is your movie night, me a couple, I'm sorry, I love you. Sorry to throw, throw you under, if that is in fact your movie night tonight, I apologize. Sounds like a great idea. Weird, but a great family building experience. Be in the moment. What would it look like to be so wrapped up in the moment that you even forget to pick up your phone to record it? It's the joy of heaven. That's the gift of laughter, as I was telling the children. Because when you laugh at something, you, say, you, don't, you don't say to yourself, I'm now going to be amused. You just are. I, you know, like, I, I love that prayer of, of Cecilia because it was just out of the blue, and it's hilarious, and we watch it all of the time. You know, and it's so her, right? That laughter, when we experience laughter, 
I'm convinced, I'm convinced that when we experience laughter, we see a glimpse of heaven itself. This reckless selflessness that offers us joy. For example, most of the time when we see others laughing, we want, it's infectious and we want to join in. You know, when someone's laughing, like when we talk about the big screen, you know, down the, the church, this is the slightly larger screen that built it after ours. It's a, and we kind of laughed at, you know, and we, we don't say, I don't want to laugh. It, it's infectious. It brings us in and we are selfless. And that's, a, oh, here's a quote. So, um, and it's not on the screens because I, I forgot to add it. Um, earlier in this section of, of Screwtape Letters, Screwtape says, laughter, love this. And you should write this down. And I'm sorry, it's not on the screen. Laughter is of itself disgusting and a direct insult to the realism, dignity, and austerity of hell. I love that. Laughter is disgusting and a direct insult to the realism, the dignity, and the austerity of hell. Right? Stop making, hell is too serious. Stop making fun. Stop laughing. Right? A surprise party. Laughter is the joy of heaven in which we are called to lose ourselves. When we lose ourselves, we come to a place where we recognize that these big outlandish promises that sometimes we make as Christians means very little without the daily walk with God. Give us this day our daily bread. And the reason why these big outlandish promises don't work, they sometimes work, but often they don't work because we fail to recognize that promises exist only in the context of community. Like, for example, when you join the church and we ask you the the baptismal covenant questions, do you promise to resist wickedness and evil in whatever forms they present themselves? You say, I do. And I always think back in my mind, you have no idea what you're agreeing to. You might feel strong in the faith today, but what about 10 years from now? 20 years from now? You know, it's also sometimes, uh, it's it's like marriage. I love when when, when young couples, uh, they come up. Uh, to be married. Do you promise to love this person for the rest of your life? I do. And I'm thinking, you have no idea. You have no idea. In the church, we make you, we make, we offer these promises to you, these big outlandish promises to you, because you cannot do it alone. It forces us to walk with one another in order to accomplish those goals. It is a selfless community. The community is selfless as a whole. In other words, look, there's nothing wrong with wanting to build the biggest and baddest church in Bossier City. But we need to make sure it's for Jesus and not for us. Because the work that we're doing in the kingdom matters. It's not about us. When we, when we have found this communal selflessness, even screw tape is left powerless. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do give you thanks for the vision and for calling us to make outlandish, life-changing, world-changing goals. But Father, also walk with us as we take those daily bread steps to accomplish your mission. Help us to recognize the gifts in one another and the joy that it is to be in service with one another. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves with true joy, generosity, and compassion. And Father, all things 
After all things are said and done, help us to laugh. (laughs) Help us to be filled with joy. And help us to share that joy with one another so that we might catch a glimpse of heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.